How did Canada's stupidest man become our best firearms salesman? My guest tonight explains. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed and you're watching The Gun Show. First taking office in 2015, Justin Trudeau's liberals have done what liberals before them have always done. They've instituted a radical gun control agenda. Why? Because it's the path of least resistance and men like Justin Trudeau are lazy and not very bright. And instead of tackling the gang crisis in Canada's cities, tightening up our borders and dealing with the opioid crisis that's fueling gang violence, he's decided to swim down the path of least resistance, and that is to go after people who jump through hoops every single day just to maintain the private ownership of their firearms. But it's been seven years of this, and I think some people may have forgotten Justin Trudeau's own history. So tonight I've called in someone who can sort of rehash the history of Justin Trudeau's attacks on the law-abiding firearms-owning community here in Canada. So tonight, joining me in an interview we recorded earlier this morning is Rick Igersich from the National Firearms Association. Take a listen. Joining me now from the National Firearms Association is Rick Igersich to sort of walk us through how we got to Canada's dumbest man inadvertently becoming Canada's best handgun salesman and then having to do something completely undemocratic to fix that. Uh, Rick, thanks for joining me. Why don't you tell people a little bit about the work that the NFA does? I'm Rick Igersich. I'm uh, the president of Canada's National Firearms Association. Uh, what the NFA is all about. We're Canada's largest advocacy group. Uh, we, uh, our job is basically to uh, educate politicians, lobby politicians, and try to get some changes into some of the ridiculous firearm rules that uh, lately the Liberals have been uh, dropping on us. I think you guys have been around since the 70s, so we're approaching 50 years of advocacy from the NFA. So you've sort of shepherded the Canadian public through um, the introduction of the gun registry, then the repeal of the gun registry, and now this latest liberal attack on our firearms rights. So, um, you know, you've really been around and you, you guys have seen it all. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show today, because I thought that our our public and our viewers here at Rebel News, we do have a lot of Americans who watch us. And the Canadian firearms community, I think they're particularly in tune to how quickly um, polit politicians' rhetoric can turn into law, just like that. Yes. Um, so we don't have the same sort of democratic um, protections that they have in the United States because their gun rights are protected and codified in law. So we don't have that here. And um, I would say that our gun, gun owners are a little bit more quiet because you know that you could be hit with a confiscation like that. So you, a lot of times you don't want to speak because you don't want them to know what you have, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, and it all, it basically, uh, the, the, it started 
the 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 latest the latest barrage from the liberals uh justin trudeau's liberals started and basically on may 1st 2020 with the order in council banning 1500 types of uh firearms and counting i believe it's up to 1800 now uh he basically uh dropped that on uh, on canadians after the tragic events in nova scotia he used that as his uh as his tool to uh to drop this on us so uh you know and uh Basically, uh, the order in council is banning more than what Trudeau calls his assault weapons. There's several firearms on there. You know, he's basing stuff on caliber, bore diameter, stuff that, you know, there's hunting rifles on think, there. That, sorry to interrupt you, Rick. I think there's a 410 bird gun on there. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure about the 410 bird gun. I, I think there is. I, I yeah. think there's a 410 bird gun on there. I think. Um, and just for so people understand, an order in council does not go before parliament. It's basically a list. They sign off on it and that's it. It's yeah. as undemocratic as it comes. Yes, it is. It definitely is. And, you know, he did that. Uh, he did that. Uh, it's all uh, it's all related. And uh, it's the classic liberal, you know, uh, spin it towards the firearms owners uh, to get the to get the heat off themselves, which we see all the time uh, uh, in the in the. You know, as as far as uh, Canadian firearms owners go, we're always we always seem to be the scapegoat. But uh, like I say, the order in council had banned fifteen hundred types of firearms, and they're adding they're adding firearms to that list every day. And uh, you know, it, it's it's nothing short of ridiculous. Uh, we did get uh, we did get uh, uh, amnesty uh, till twenty twenty three, which uh, which uh, you know. Uh, you know, just spreads things out. There is so there is uh, a few court cases that are uh, that are in place right now. Uh, we're actually funding one of them. Uh, it, ours is the Premac versus Canada case, where that's the one we're funding. Uh, you know, but everything seems to be stalled in uh, in Ottawa right now. You know, to, to get a court date, we don't we don't know when this is going to go to court, and I don't think uh, I don't think they really want to they want to take it to court right now. I think they're going to try to push it to the end, but we'll see. But uh, uh solomon friedman uh, is working uh, on on the case that we're funding so we'll see where that goes but, Sorry, you know, before it, you do before you move on from there why don't you tell us what that case is a little bit about uh i really i, I really can't talk about the case right now because it is uh cassie premac it, it is cassie premac versus canada uh you know i can't really comment on the on the case right now but uh yeah it's uh it, it's it's definitely uh it's definitely uh you know finding that uh this uh, order in council is not a, a, a lawful order basically you know there are also before we move on there so people understand there are firearms manufacturers in this country whose complete business was wiped out by this order in council because some of them only make one model and that model was on the list and they had no yeah. notice and, and so their entire business model was just destroyed by the liberals because the liberals reacted to a mass shooting done by someone who wasn't supposed to be in possession of firearms, used that to scapegoat the entire firearms community and destroyed businesses along the way. Yeah, destroyed them in a, in, in a lot of different ways. You know, it, it did close some businesses down, but other businesses were hung with thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stock that they can't sell. Uh, just like... Uh, you know, I, I know a local business here that has several of those types of firearms, and uh, right now they're waiting to see what happens. Uh, they're they're um, uh, public safety minister uh, Mendocino did say that there is 
going to be some sort of buyout to the to the retailers in the next uh few months uh you know they did release some ridiculous numbers with some pricing which uh which uh, are nowhere close to what these firearms are are worth but uh they're going to they're going to offer the, they're going to offer the the businesses some money to buy these firearms uh I don't know what the businesses are going to do. You know, a lot of people are in a bad position because of all this stock and all this money they have laid out. But uh, uh, the NFA is of the opinion that, you know, we're going to wait out till the end of the amnesty and see what happens. You know, let some of these court challenges get uh, looked at and and go from there. Yeah, that's a, an interesting point that you're making. There is a gun buyback program, but why should Canadian taxpayers be on the hook? for the destruction that the liberals have caused in other people's businesses, because at the end of the day, this is going to be a multi-billion dollar buyback of assets, stranded assets, as they say in the oil industry, um, that Canadian taxpayers should not be on the hook for any of this. None of it should be happening to start with, but then Canadian taxpayers are being stuck with this and the liberals are patting themselves on the back saying, look what we did. We're helping them out after we ruined their business. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, they have they have a different definition of a buyback than I do. Uh, I'm of <laughs> the impression that you had to own something in the first place to buy it back, and then again, like you said, uh, using our own taxpayers' money to uh, buy back something they didn't own in the first place just doesn't make a lot of sense to me, Sheila. So let's move from there to what's happening now with the Liberals are happening, and then they've somehow managed to um, make it even worse. Um, they've decided to ban handguns, really, that at the end of the day, that's what they plan to do. And they're going to do it through several different steps. Uh, why don't you walk us through how the liberals are planning to do that? Well, why don't we just backtrack a little bit sure. to, Bill C- to Bill C-71 before uh, right. Bill C-21, which is the handgun ban. Uh, back in uh, back in uh, July 7th of 2021, uh, uh, the the liberals enacted uh, Bill C-71, which included lifetime background checks, where uh, it used to be five years. Now, now they can go back your whole life to do a background check. So if you had some sort of offense when you were young or something and uh, it was 20 or 30 years ago, they can take that into account. And I've been actually hearing that uh, some uh, PAL, PALs and uh, restricted PAL licenses have been denied for that reason. Also with that bill, they... Uh, uh, the authorization to transport a restricted firearm was limited to to and from from to and from ranges and to your residence after a purchase from a gun shop. Before that, uh, your uh, your authorization to transport was valid if you need if you uh, for gun clubs like it like it is, but it was also valid to border crossings. It was valid to other provinces. Now they they re- they restricted that. Uh, even even uh, you, right now you need a. You need an authorization to transport to to uh, go to a business for an appraisal or repair your firearm. You need an authorization to transport to go to gun shows or a port of entry or exit of uh, in in Canada. So they they restricted that, and then it then it gets worse. The second part of C seventy one, which uh, became uh, effective on May eighteenth, twenty twenty two, was the license verification part of it. So basically. Uh, License verification and business keeping for non-restricted firearms. So what that is is, uh, if you uh, buy a uh, a long gun from a from a gun shop, they have to uh, uh, re- keep keep a record of that firearm. But they also have to call CFO and get an authorization number, so the CFO can do a background check on you before they can uh, 
before they can uh, sell you that firearm. So th- there's a, there's an authorization number attached to that uh, firearm uh, on the record now. Before it was just, uh, if you had a valid PAL, you could purchase that firearm and walk out with it that day. And there's all kinds of issues with that also, because uh, as far as uh, uh, one-on-one ind- individuals uh, purchasing firearms off of, off of other individuals, you run into the problem of, okay, uh, they basically are making the 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 seller keep records for the government uh for uh, there actually there's no uh, there's no time limit on that as far as i know yet but it, it same process call cfo get a get a transfer number uh you know and uh, whether or not uh, they approve the if they approve if they don't approve the transfer number for instance at a gun sale that person wants to buy that gun he's got a valid license but he doesn't get that gun that day and it gets worse too because usually gun shows are on weekends and and uh, their portal is so jammed that people can't get through. And uh, I'm in Ontario here, and I've noticed that most gun shows have been canceled now uh, because of that. Uh, the it, it basically killed another part of the economy just by just by that part of the bill. It's a uh, in in my opinion, in the NFA's opinion, it's nothing. It's a long gun registry uh, 2.0. Yeah, that's as you were talking. I just wrote that down. This is just a backdoor registry. And where they get to say it's not a registry, it's just records keeping by the retailer. But the retailer has to turn them over to the government if the government demands them. Now, I want to ask you, how does this affect competitive shooters in Canada? Because we have some of the best competitive shooters in the world. And uh, Justin Trudeau, in a former life, he used to be, uh, I think this was his highest position in government when he was in opposition. He was the critic for amateur sport which included competitive shooting, um, but this basically wipes them out, does it not? Uh, Bill C-71 doesn't wipe them out. It uh, definitely keeps track of their firearms. But w- when we get into Bill, Bill uh, C-21, uh, that could uh, that could lead to some real issues as far as competitive shooters go, especially the Bill C-21. Uh, Bill C-21 has several parts to it. Uh, uh, the biggest ones uh, that we're concerned with uh, right now, and uh, you know, we could we could have uh, four of these meetings and not cover everything. <laughs> but uh, uh, what the liberals want to do is they want to freeze all import and uh, movement of handguns in Canada. So basically, what is going on right now? They've uh, Marco uh, Mendocino announced uh, last week that he he was going to stop uh, the import of uh, all handguns into Canada in a few days. So that basically stifles the whole uh, handgun uh, industry in Canada. And as far as sport shooters, uh, if this bill becomes law and handguns there and they, and they and they put a handgun freeze into place, which is basically if you own a handgun you are you can't move that gun you can't give it to your heirs you can't sell it it's it's your firearm until you pass away and then it goes back to the government so if there's new competitive shooters coming into uh into the sport like IPSC IDPA uh, Olympic uh, Olympic uh, target shooting these people right now aren't going to be able to get these firearms. Although there is a clause that Trudeau put in there that uh, uh, sport shooters, and he didn't really clarify on what type of sport shooters are still going to be able to purchase these firearms. So I don't know. uh, 
I, you know, I'm a sports shooter. Am I going to be able to buy these guns or is it going to be limited to, uh, to government vetted, uh, Olympic athletes? I'm not sure. There's nothing, there's nothing clear in this bill at all. Well, and how do you become, uh, somebody who's at the level to compete in the Olympics, if you're not able to access training and ranges, um, and firearms up until such time as you become an Olympic sports shooter, basically it, it ends, uh, the sport right here. But yep, there's the, the, no opportunity for new people to join. You're, you're right, Sheila. That uh, basically ends it for anybody new joining the sport. You know, there's uh, there's sport shooters out there that have firearms that can continue their sport. But as far as anybody coming up through uh, through the ranks to become, uh, you know, a world level or Olympic level athlete, uh, you basically haven't got a chance because it doesn't you need to you need to own them firearms to get to that level. It just like you need you, to, to be a professional skier. You had to start on skis when you were a little when you were when you were younger and, uh, and you know, and move in that direction. So if you haven't got the equipment to do it uh I don't think uh, I don't think you'll uh, you'll ever get to that level, and I don't. I, and if this bill does go through, that's basically going to put the end of Canadian shooting sports in uh, on on the world level and and on the Canadian level too, because you know the, the people that are involved in it right now are uh, when they're done, they're done, and there's nobody there's nobody to follow up on that stuff. And the other part of it too is you know besides the besides the sport shooting, there's people out there with with great big collections of firearms yeah. that are worth you know a, a lot of money and these people can't leave this stuff to their heirs you know i know people that have hundreds of thousands of dollars invested into handguns and basically what are they going to do with them now they can't move them you know they, they kind of stifled stifled us a bit when they when they prohibited a lot of firearms and they grandfathered a few people into yeah. into that but uh now now the guns are what you own is what you got, and uh, when you when when you pass away, they they go back to the state, which uh, definitely isn't right. And I don't even know if it if it's legal, but uh, that's where we're at right now. And I just wanted to touch on something else with uh, Bill C twenty C twenty one. They also mentioned uh, magazine bans that limit everything to uh, to five shots. Well, they never thought that out very much either, because uh, a lot of firearms and. Uh, you're familiar with uh, with uh, a lever action firearm that has a tube underneath it that holds seven or eight or nine rounds of ammunition. That can't be done on those. The gun will not function if you block that tube to five shots. It's a uh, Th- this bill, you know, this bill was wasn't thought out very well, and uh, if it comes into force, there's going to be all kinds of problems with it. Yeah, it reads as though it was drafted by someone who's never actually used a firearm. <laughs> or been around Absolutely. a firearm? <laughs> well, the, the order in council, I have no doubt, was drafted uh, with the same type of people, a bunch of lawyers and uh, probably some RCMP guys that, uh, you know, aren't aren't sport shooters or aren't hunters or aren't anything else. And they came up with this list and 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 this 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 uh, this whole thing, like you say, it, it's definitely not done by uh, firearms people. I'm I'm pretty sure of that. Well, and I wanted to point out just how undemocratic this bill is because Justin Trudeau announced that in the fall, I think was the timeline that he gave in the first place, that uh, he would be banning the sales and importation of handguns. So that, of course, naturally put a run on handguns and ammunition and handgun imports. So then he moved the timeline up. So this bill hasn't gone to parliament they're summer so they don't sit they don't do anything they go to barbecues 
And instead of just letting democracy take its course and accepting the L because he announced the timeline and then naturally people just went out and, and bought guns, he's decided, no, you know what? We don't need to answer to parliament. We don't need to answer to the people. We're bringing in this ban right now because we know our bill is going to pass in February or in, sorry, in in the fall. And so now, like you said, in just a couple of days, you cannot import another handgun into this country. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, Sheila. It really is. And, you know, it's it, 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 it's classic. It's classic. Liber- it's a classic liberal move of what they're doing Uh you know, they this bill isn't it, it isn't a law. It's it, it's went through. Uh, I believe it's went through second reading. Uh, it hasn't uh, it hasn't uh, gone through royal assent. So basically, uh, Parliament uh, Parliament is on their summer break right now. But this stuff is happening during summer break. You know, and uh, you know, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau, Marco uh, Mendocino, definitely uh, handgun salesman of the year. There's no doubt about that. Uh, the shelves are basically empty yeah. across Canada. Uh, you can't, it's hard to go into any gun shop right now uh, to find a handgun to buy because there isn't any. Uh, I know there's some still coming in. I, I've I've heard that uh, some imports are still coming in, but that's going to end in a few days. Uh, you know, it just, uh, it's a, <laughs> I, it, there's no reasoning behind what they do. You know, uh, you know, implementing part of this bill basically uh, during the summer break by some sort of uh, ordering council. I, I don't I don't see uh, I don't see why they're doing it why they're doing it that way or or there's no there's no reasoning behind it it just they're, they're they seem to be jumping all over the map with this stuff I think I think part of the problem was that they saw that uh, handgun sales went through the roof and maybe they thought they'd uh, put a lid on that uh, I don't know I really don't know well and I guess it all goes back to if it ain't broke don't fix it which yeah. takes us back to the order in council. If you look at, I was pulled up the latest crime statistics this morning, and the overall crime rate in Canada has increased by 0.7% between 20 and 2021. So since they banned 15, now probably 1,800 models yeah. of handguns, violent crime has increased by 5.1%. Nonviolent crime uh, declined by 2.8%. So violent crime is up substantially across the country. The same problems that plagued Canada's big cities are still plaguing Canada's big cities because instead of focusing on gangs, which is really what this is all about, they focus on the most law-abiding people in the country and then say, look what we did. <laughs> we're saving exactly. Canadians. We're making we're making everybody safer. Uh, well, give I mean, if you are a gangster in this country, your best friends are the liberals because they're busy blaming everybody else for your crimes. Exactly. You know, and they're that that, you know, we made that point earlier. They're not uh, they're not uh, they're not going to the root of the problem. They're uh, they're trying to to go sideways. And that, that's uh, towards Canadian uh, firearms owners to, uh, you know, to uh, divert divert the divert attention of what's really going on with the Liberal Party of Canada, you know their marriage made in heaven with the NDP and stuff. I, I don't think I don't think that's too stable these days, and uh, I think there's a lot of other stuff going on. But you know, I, I I've said I've said this before, and uh, you know they oh they turn to two things: they turn to uh, to to firearms owners, and they turn to dis- discrimination. That's what they use every time when they get a little heat on them, and I believe that's what's going on right now. You know, I, I'm glad you brought up discrimination because I think that's the last thing on my list that I wanted to talk 
to you about, and I, I think I'm probably dumping this on you without you being <laughs> properly prepared for it, but Bill C-5. Um, Bill C-5 actually lowers the sentences for violent crimes, um, particularly uh, a whole slate of firearms and weapons-related offenses as a way to combat systemic racism. So again, they continue to let the gangsters off the hook while taking the path of least resistance because liberals are lazy and they go after the most law-abiding people because they know we jump through hoops every day just to own a gun. We submit ourselves willingly to an everyday background check that Mm-hmm. may or may not include our social media postings. We'll yeah. do all of that just to maintain the use of our private property. And yet recidivist gangsters are getting reduced sentences because of systemic racism. Yeah. And associating us and associate, associating us with racism, which doesn't make any sense at all. But you know what? It really it really uh, it really looks good in the in the liberal headlines when they do that stuff. But, you know, it just, uh, you know, it, like I said before, it takes the heat off of uh, Justin Trudeau of what's really going on. Now, I, I wanted to uh, give you an opportunity to let people know um, how they can support the work that the NFA does. Um and through supporting your work, you're also supporting that court case as it winds its way through the court system. Um, I think the liberals are probably ragging the puck on a lot of these cases just to make it over um, the deadline for when uh, the amnesty is over. Um, but how do people support the work that the NFA does? Well, people can support uh, the NFA. They can uh, they can uh, support us by uh, becoming a member, uh, buying a membership. Uh, all all money, all money. Uh, uh, the NFA uh, board of directors, including myself, are all volunteers. So we're not uh, we're not a paid board of directors. Uh, a couple of us get small stipends for uh, for the for some of the extra stuff we do. But uh, they can support us by buying a membership. Uh, the money all directly goes back into uh, into firearms rights. Uh, we do have, a, I just like to mention that we do have a full-time lobbyist in Ottawa. Uh, his name's Charles Zach, and he's working all the time in, in, in the front lines and behind the scenes, uh, lobbying politicians on a daily basis, uh, trying to get some of this stuff changed. So the best way to support the NFA is uh, donate, donate to uh, the, buy a membership or donate to Canada's National Firearms Association. Uh, we we appreciate it. And um, like I say, we're not non-for-profit organization, so uh, donations, uh, donations help us, uh, keep making sure that you guys are going to keep your firearms. Great, Rick. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And, um, hopefully we can have you back on again very, very soon. I, I'm a little embarrassed. It took so long to have you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Sheila. <laughs> thanks for having me, uh, and, uh, have a great day. You too. This is the portion of the show where we invite your viewer comments, your questions, your concerns. Unlike the mainstream media, they just want to take your money and never hear from you again. We care what our viewers think about the work that we're doing. So if you want to send me a viewer comment, you want me to read it on air, it's really easy. Just send it to Sheila at rebelnews.com. Put gun show letters in the subject line and I just pick it at random and I'll read it on air. And sometimes I head on over to the Rumble comments on our stories. So do not hesitate to leave a comment on our Rumble stories because who knows, I might find it and then read it on air. And actually today I take all my comments from our Rumble story about my trip to Geneva. I just actually got in 
well, I guess it would have been this morning at <laughs> two in the morning. I finally made it home. But anyway, on our story about my trip all the way to Geneva and back with our lawyer, Sarah Miller. She's the lawyer for Pastor Art Polosky also. So, you know, she cares deeply about civil liberties. And we went there to hand deliver a human rights complaint to the Human Rights Council there. And it was a meticulously drafted complaint by Sarah Miller. And it filled an entire three-page binder, just the evidence. The complaint itself is about 15 pages long, but then all of her supporting evidence for her claims I would guess 500, maybe a thousand pages. I mean, it filled a three, three inch binder full, full. So anyway, on our story about my trip to Geneva, Zakotic nine writes, paraphrasing from memory, one of the most important things rebel has ever done. If it pans out, it might be the embarrassment Trudeau would feel getting scolded by the UN globalist for human rights violations. Priceless. Well, that's exactly it. You never know who these madmen on the Human Rights Council are going to turn on today. And a lot of it is to deflect away from their own human rights violations. They cycle people on and off the council, but it has been occupied by the likes of Russia, China, sometimes Iran. The world's human rights abusers, they end up on these councils. And sometimes the best way to deflect away from the things that they are doing at home is to say, you know what? Look at Justin Trudeau. Look what he's doing. Don't look at our concentration camps. And maybe we might get that out of our trip to the United Nations. Who knows? So either we're going to embarrass Justin Trudeau or we are going to prove to the world that the UN is toothless when it comes to human rights violations, that they really don't care about human rights. And um, you know what? I would be satisfied either way. I think both things, if they come to be, will be a success either way. And more importantly, we did something. Mitch Can writes, so thankful for Sheila and Sarah traveling all the way to Geneva and putting themselves out there on our behalf, not to mention the hard work that evidently went into the meticulously outlined three-inch binder full of stuff. You know, like I just said, what else could we do? You know, the, the courts have failed by and large here in Canada. The politicians have failed us. The opposition are just speaking up now two years into the human rights infractions uh, under the auspices of the pandemic. But I think, you know, governments use any excuse they can to crush dissent. This time they use the pandemic, but they really use anything. In China, they use public safety. They say, you know, they, they bring in these public safety laws to crack down on dissidents in Hong Kong. So really they use anything they can to overreach in Canada that they used the pandemic. But what else could we do? Like I said, the politicians have failed. The courts have failed. Uh, our systems have failed. The police have failed to some extent. The military are kicking out um, conscientious objectors. Academia is kicking out ethics professors who care about bioethics. Those people are kicked out. What else could we do? And, you know, the United Nations says they care about this sort of stuff. Let's see them prove it. And CWC 57 says, waste of time. They're all commie scum. Well, that might be, but I don't think it's ever a waste of time to fight for human rights. I just don't. And maybe it's futile. Maybe it's not. But unlike a lot of people out there, I can say that I did something about it. 
And for anybody who donated to cover the cost of our trip there, you can say that you are actively involved in a human rights movement that went all the way to Geneva, Switzerland. And we can say that we documented as many of those human rights abuses as we possibly could. And, you know, if people want to still continue to donate to cover the cost of our mission there, as um, Mitch can points out, Sarah put a lot of work into her evidence and she's a, a phenomenal lawyer. Her work isn't cheap. We did do our best to keep our flights cheap. You can see in my interview with Ezra just how cheap we went on those flights. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't really our fault. Air Canada rebooked me and sent me to Vancouver and then the, in the other direction. But anyway, we did our best to to save money. We didn't spend a lot of time on the ground. I think I was only on the ground in Geneva 20 or 22 hours before I had to turn around and come back. So anyways, if you want to support our work and our trip there and Sarah's legal costs, you can visit humanrightscomplaint.com. And there you can see the complaint. We're going to take Sarah's evidence and we'll upload that there. But it is a huge file. And you can also see our stamped receipt of delivery to the United Nations. So they did acknowledge that they have received our complaint and they're going to send it up the chain wherever it may end up. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next week. And remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think. <laughs>